Well, thanks for being here this morning. Last week, we spoke about our weaknesses being the mud in which the flowers of God's grace grows. You remember we talked about our weaknesses being those natural ways in us, our natural weaknesses, our mental weaknesses, our emotional weaknesses, our moral weaknesses. Every one of us filled with weaknesses. None of us being able to say that we don't have any weaknesses. Everybody else has them. You remember we made a clear, hopefully, differentiation between the existence of that which is in us by design, by the work of God, having created us with unique and distinct weaknesses, and then the activity that will flow out of weakness will either be trusting in God as a result of understanding weaknesses and their function and handling them biblically, or it will be sin as we try to either get rid of our weaknesses, give in to our weaknesses, or ignore our weaknesses. And you remember we said weaknesses in themselves are not sin, but they are the means in which sin is able to come forth. You remember that we learn not to give in to our weaknesses. Not to try to get rid of them. Don't ask God, get rid of my weaknesses. But to see them as God's gift to us. To show us of our deficiencies and need of Him as a result of the fall. causing us to see that the issue in our weaknesses is a great and grand issue. And that is this, that in the midst of the mud of your life, if you will come to me and submit to me and call upon me and trust me, I will grow a great tree of righteousness. Where though? In the very midst of that which is not righteous, overcoming the mud, overcoming the weaknesses by the grace of God. And you remember we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. When the Apostle Paul says three times, get this out of me, get it away from me, I don't want it, it's inhibiting me. And the Lord says, no, Paul, you've misunderstood. This is the very means in which the power and the glory of my grace is manifested. Man, when Paul saw that his weaknesses were the very means of God displaying the power of His grace, Paul says, therefore, I will rejoice over my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then am I strong. We dealt with some of those issues last week. We dealt with what God was doing and wants to do in us. 
And this morning we turn the corner to another side of this. Father, would you pour out your Spirit upon us as we've heard this morning in our prayer times. How can it be that through the weakness of a man, through the weakness of understanding, through the weakness of memory, through the weakness of vocabulary, through the weakness of everything that is here, that you can bring forth the greatest revelation the world has ever seen, the beauty of who you are and the beauty of how you are. Father, they're not going to see it in any other place except in these mud hills. These walking mud hills, as your word says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Father, this morning, cause us not only to see the glory that you want to bring forth in each one of us, but also among us. Father, give us the rest of the story this morning. Minister to us so that we will live not only as individual mud hills, but coming together and collected together, we will be the garden of God, the planting of the Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask you to do this. Amen. As we continue to talk about weaknesses this morning, I believe the question this morning is, well, first of all, Hopefully everyone left last week asking yourself about your own deficiencies and weaknesses. And going to the Lord to ask Him to begin to deal with these within the context of His goodness and of His grace. And I know that when this happens, all of us want copious grace from God. We just want God to pour out all over us His mercy and His goodness and His kindness and His forgiveness, His patience. But this morning we want to turn away from ourselves and look to others. Ask this question. How are you handling the weaknesses of other people? You see, it's one thing to be in touch with our own weaknesses and handle them in an appropriate way, giving yourself a whole lot of rope, giving yourself a whole lot of room, giving yourself a whole lot of understanding, don't you see? The problem is, these people around us, that have weaknesses. How are we doing when we run into the weaknesses of others, when your life and the life of another believer, and anyone, but at least within the context of the church, another believer, your life and that other life collide? How are you doing? You see, handling our weaknesses is enough of a challenge. 
me handling my weaknesses is an enormous full-time challenge. The difficulty we have is, I don't have the time or the energy nor the, the disposition to handle your weaknesses. You go handle your own. You deal with your own issues and let me deal with my issues and you make sure your issues are not in contradiction to mine or not attacking or coming into collision course with my weaknesses. You see, how much better we would be. How much to the glory of God we could live if it weren't for the weaknesses of other people. Because you know how it is. Come on, we know how it is. We all know that a lot of the way we act is the fault of other people. Now, how many of us know that? Come on, come on. No, no, no. The anger is because of someone else. The attitude is because of someone else. The frustration is because of someone else. I mean, how many of us know how much better off we would be if it just weren't for all of those weaklings around us? You see, you may not want to admit it, but you know it. And the way you know it is your attitude about the next opportunity to deal with the weakness of someone else. Now think about this. How many of us have been hurt, whether physically or but mostly either mentally, emotionally? How many of us have been hurt by someone else? Really hurt? I would suppose if I asked for the... Brother, you need a whole lot more prayer. I suppose if I were to ask for hands, I would suppose that everyone in this church has been hurt. And I think the greatest hurt has come in our lives when we have been hurt by our own family members, and then the second greatest hurt has come into our lives when we have been hurt by other members of the church. We have a lot of people in this room, maybe everyone, who's been hurt. You've been hurt. I've been hurt by others in this church and by my family members, yes. And there's just no telling how many I have hurt. I mean, that's just another story in itself. I've been hurt. How many have been disappointed? Just been disappointed, man. Can't believe that I thought that you would... How many of us have been frustrated? <laughs> and like, still you... After all... Frustrated. You see, the problem with these weaknesses of other people, there is a problem here. The problem is they make my life much more difficult than it should be and it needs to be. How many of us know that our lives would be a whole lot easier if it weren't for the weaknesses of others? I mean, it just would. How many of you know that the weaknesses of others and others make unreasonable demands on our time. I mean, I only have 24 hours in a day. Leave me alone, may be your attitude. Oh my goodness, here he comes again. Oh God, I hope that phone call isn't from... Come on, come on. 
I know I'm the only one who's ever experienced this. I know I'm talking to myself and there's a big mirror in front of me. Nobody else is guilty of any of this. Except Eddie back there. I told you I'd get you. You see, you were waiting. Now, are you satisfied? Now you go back to sleep. You see, I've been hurt. And they've caused us much grief and pain. Think about the person or the persons whose weaknesses have expressed themselves in a way that, and you fill in the blank. Just stop for a moment. And let the Holy Spirit give you the name of a person, the face of a person, whose weakness has acted in a particular way as to cause you And I think that every one of us, in fact, I know that every one of us could fill in the blank. So what do we do? What do we do when we come in contact with the weaknesses of others? Withdraw? Ignore them? Lash out? Criticize? Condemn? Talk about them? Withhold our fellowship or our friendship or forgiveness. You know, when we look at marriages, some of the major difficulties in marriages is this issue. Of how we are responding to the weakness of our spouse. As if I have no weakness. And even if I do, certainly my spouse shouldn't have any. How often are we unwilling to embrace the weakness of the other person and see the weakness in that person in the same way that we are to see the weakness in ourselves as God's gift. Gift through which and in which the glory of His grace is powerfully, most powerfully manifested. We want the glory of God. We want the grace of God. We sing about the grace of God. We rejoice over the grace of God. And we everything about the grace of God. And yet the very avenue through which the grace of God must come, and the only avenue through which it's going to come in my life, is our weaknesses and we're resisting and fighting against and disliking the very means in which God is going to grow the flowers that we so desperately want. And we're rejecting of them in the others. If they are going to grow in me this way, how in the world are they to grow in others? You see, we're much more willing to be patient and kind about our own than we are with others. Anybody there with me? You see, I'm much more willing that when I'm in a mood to ride slow, I drive slow, which has been once in my life. And so, I'm much more willing to do that and worry about, why are those people upset with me, Kenny? I'm just driving. Than I am when you slow in front of me and I'm going somewhere, brother. Much more kind to myself. You 
You see, God has placed us together. May I repeat that word? What word did I just say? God has placed us? I, I can't hear you. Together. So that all of our weaknesses will collide. So that God's grace might be mutually and within the context of the entire church beautifully manifested. So how are we to deal with the weaknesses of other people? Jean would tell you. She'll get a card and someone will say in the card, we're having a some kind of family or social event on the 18th at 8 o'clock. And we'll be cranking along. And she's told me this, I've read this. And two days later she says, remember tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. Huh? 8 o'clock? Whose house? Why? I mean, is this right? Do I do it regularly? You know, weaknesses prevail. I can't even climb the stairs. You see, that was an act. No, it wasn't. Everybody's afraid. When the old thing starts down, is it going to fall? Or is it going to fall going up? Well, then you see. You know, how should she respond to my weaknesses? Call you? Call, uh, what's your name again? How should she respond to wives? How are you responding to your husband's weaknesses? Husbands, how are you dealing with your wives' weaknesses? Perhaps one of the reasons why we remain as we do is we're not handling them God's way and the other person. You know, Gene can tell you and the other guys on staff can tell you how much I have been helped over the years as they have helped me to identify and deal with so many weaknesses, so many weaknesses in me, for which I am grateful. I don't know the extent of what I am in Christ. I don't understand that a whole lot. I don't know very much how that's happening as far as its impact. But I know one thing. Whatever it is, is major reason for it is because I have others who have helped me in the issue of weaknesses and not attacked me. It's been a major blessing in my life. Gene's willing to be personally hurt because of my weaknesses and the sin that would come forth from them. But not to respond out of that hurt, but to respond in help. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for this. I would not be here today if it weren't for that. You see, our response to the weaknesses of others will either help them or harm them. Either help or harm. Either impart grace or encourage sin. And sweetie... You have encouraged grace in me 
continually, continually, and continually. And I thank God for you, my sweetie. I thank God for you. But it's, it's a wrestling match. It's not easy. How are we to respond to the weaknesses of others? What are we to do? First of all, remember how you do respond and how I naturally respond. And let's see some of the things that God wants us to do. First of all, I think there are at least three ways. Were there three or were there four? Did I forget how many I had here? It's okay. It's okay. I don't remember everything. Three ways. First of all, how to respond to the weakness of other people. First of all, and I think this is preeminent, whose, not who, whose are they? Who are these other people in the church that we're responding to? Whose are they? They are God's beloved children. I remember one time I was copying an attitude about a particular man in this church because of something that he was doing that I thought was wrong. And doggone, he should not have done it! Until the Lord showed me, but what you have done has been so much worse. I remember I received a phone call, one of about 27 in a row. Literally, 27 phone calls in a row, I think, from a particular person in the church. Very persistent person. You know, it's like, after, uh, you know, like, leave me alone. Please. I can't take any more of this. Come on. And I was beginning to cop an attitude until the Lord said to me, if that were my, Jonathan is my grandson, if that were your grandson, would you want someone else to have that attitude about him? It killed it. The attitude was gone. How many of you mamas and them in this congregation want others to minister to the needs and the benefits and the blessings of your children to the uttermost? How many of us want this? Well, if we want it, how much more God? Because this is God's family. You are God's children. The person that you're copying an attitude about is one of the beloved little children of our God. And what Jesus said in Matthew 25.40, He said, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it, did what? Whatever it is that you're doing or attitudining or is motivated by. To the least one of these, my brethren, my children, you've done it unto me. Hurt my children and you more than hurt me. I believe a question we should all ask ourselves is this. How do I want my own child to be dealt with? How do I want my own child to be dealt with? With great mercy, don't we? With great mercy. Not only remember they are God's children, but let us remember the gospel. Let's remember what was God's wonderful response when we were His enemies dead in sin and hostile to Him. And our whole being was against Him. 
What was his response? Did he cop an attitude about us? How many of you are here today enjoying the blessings of God because to the very contrary, he not only did not cop an attitude, but he rushed toward us with the arms of grace to save us. What was God's response to our weaknesses? Listen to these words in Isaiah 53. Concerning Jesus. This is God's response to our weaknesses. He was despised and forsaken of men because of us. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief because of us. Because of our weaknesses. Had there not been sin, we wouldn't be reading this. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, spitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Yet the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. And like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so He did not open His mouth. How has God dealt with our weaknesses? How does God respond to our weaknesses today? Now that we are saved, we are saved from the penalty and the guilt of the sin which arises out of our weaknesses, but the weaknesses themselves basically remain. So what is God's attitude or response to us continuing as His adopted, loved saved, blood-washed children as we continue in the midst of this weakness that we're carrying every moment of our lives. What is God's attitude about it? Get over it. Get better. Get on with your life. Stop doing it. No. He gives us again of Himself, His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, the eternal God dwelling in us. Can you get this? That God Himself, the pure and holy God without any weakness whatsoever, chooses to dwell in the midst of the mud. He's not living on some hill over there. He's not behind some curtain on the altar. He's in us. God dwelling in these mud hills. If you would, I think it's okay for me to say it this way. Hopefully you won't take it too wrongly. Not minding to become dirty with us.
How many of us have been recipients of the help of the Holy Spirit? How many? How many? No, if you have, raise your hand. It's okay to raise your hand in Pentecostal church. No. God has helped you. But how has He done it? To how many of us has God been rude, lewd, and crude? How many of us, when dealing with the issues in our lives, has God been impatient? How many of us has God been with how many of us has God been frustrated? Eighty eight time in twenty minutes you've done this. How many of us do we believe God has sulked and withdrawn because you're just not doing what I've told you to do? Has God dealt with any of us at any time, in any way, the way we react to others? Has He? How has He done? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience. Oh, what a God we have. In fact, In fact, the very reason any of us have been able to experience the least amount of grace has been because God has gracefully responded to us. That's the reason we have received the grace of God. He has never responded to us in any way except to exhibit most clearly and most powerfully His great grace. To the most obnoxious person in this congregation, He has responded with as much grace as to me or to you. You see, and His grace creates the context for our being able to receive His overcoming grace. His grace response creates the context, the atmosphere, so that we're able to receive the grace and benefit from it. Remember what Romans 2.4 says? Don't you know it is the what? Everybody should know this first. Romans 2.4, don't you know that it is the goodness or kindness of God that leads to repentance, leads to overcoming the issues by the grace of God and with the power of the grace of God, dealing with the sin issue that occurs, dealing with it, and then going to God and asking Him to deal with the mud out of which that thing grew by His grace and planting into the very midst of that weakness which has previously produced sin, asking Him now, Father, out of this very same issue, would You begin to produce the glory of Your grace? You see, if I am a very impatient man naturally, that I need to deal with the sin of the activity of impatience. 
But then I need to deal with it in such a way that not only deals with its activity as a fruit issue, but I need to get into the root issue and go to God and say, this is showing me by your Holy Spirit that I have a deficiency, a weakness in me. And until the weakness is overcome by your grace, I'm going to continue to issue forth with impatience. And I get impatient about being impatient. I'm the only one who's had this, right? And so I ask God, you ask God, would you overcome this issue of weakness by your grace? Would you begin to wash me with your grace? Cleanse me with your grace? Plant the grace activity in this area. And when He begins to do it, cooperate with it. And all of a sudden, I begin to experience a different attitude and a different reaction to the same sets of circumstances which would drive me bananas before. But I'm beginning to sense there's something new in me. What is it? It is the overcoming activity of God's grace. So if you see me a while later and you say, wow, that man who was so impatient is now so patient. Why? It is the glory of God's grace coming forth from this issue of Weakness in me. Don't you understand? And we're not only to know the gospel, we are to practice the gospel. Let's turn to John chapter 13. How are we to respond to the weaknesses of others? Remember they are God's children. Remember the gospel, the great work of God in responding to our weaknesses. And now, let's practice the gospel. What does practicing the gospel look like in John 13? There was never a bunch of guys who could have been and would have been so frustrating to anybody as these twelve men, these knuckleheads. I mean, look at what Jesus is doing and teaching. He's still saying, huh, huh, huh. What do you say? I mean, ladies, have mercy on men when we don't get it. And men, have mercy on ladies when they act differently toward you than they should. Think of Jesus dealing with the weaknesses of these men. And in John 13, 34 and 35, he says this. He says, I give you a new commandment. He says, listen to what I want to tell you. He says, I want you to love one another. I want you to respond to one another. I want you to care for one another. I want you to relate to one another. I want you to live within the context of one another in the same way that I have with you. Now, Do you remember what we said about the Holy Spirit's ministry to us when we needed His help? And none of us raised our hand to say He was frustrated, He was mean, He was angry, He was, you know, impatient, any of that. But we all said He was kind and gentle and good and continuing and patient and whatever. Amen? Does that mean He lets us get away with our sin? No. But He deals with it within the goodness of His grace. 
And Jesus said, this is the way I've treated you. Now, this is the way I want you to relate together as a church. You see, we are to love one another. The person right next to you. You are to love that person in the same way as Jesus has loved you. Now, if you can think of any person in this church with whom you would have a difficulty in this, that you need to go to God and pray about. And I'm assuming that we could think of a bunch of people. What does this love look like? What does it look like? In John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, what does this kind of love look like? Okay, all right, I'm going to deal with the weakness of the other guy. Okay, right? You see me getting ready for it? I'm getting ready. Get myself psyched up and built up. Jesus said, strip yourself down. Strip yourself of your flesh. Strip yourself of whatever would be natural. Strip yourself. And Jesus, after the meal, got up. And He took off His outer garments. And He took a towel. And He took a basin of water. And He began to wash the dirty, nasty feet of these men in the midst of their weaknesses. What a servant. What a servant. How many of us are glad today that Jesus washed our feet for us to walk into heaven? Should we in any way react, handle, respond differently to those whom He, for others, other feet whom He has washed? It is a huge insult to God. What does this love look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. What does this love look like? And Paul describing this love is saying this. This love is patient. This love is kind and is not jealous. How are we to respond to the weaknesses of others? This love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, its own defense, its own justification, its own safety. It doesn't seek that. It is not provoked by another's activity. It does not take into account a wrong suffered This is the third time that you have done this wrong. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. You see, I told you we're going to get in trouble when you did that. (laughs) It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. I want you to remember that word bear. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Notice this word bears. It bears. We are to bear the weaknesses of others. The word bear means to take up with the hands, to take up in order to carry, to bear, to put upon one's self, to carry on one's person, to support, to carry 
and who has borne all of our deficiencies to the cross without losing one. You see, Bear aptly describes, it, doesn't it, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. Can you imagine what it must be to God to dwell in us and walk with us and deal with us in the midst of such constant failure and weakness? And we don't think this way. You know, oh, okay, I did it wrong. It, how can it, how can He handle this? Because He is love. Because He's love. You see, He deals with us as a tender plant. A lady called me one day, and she was talking about her son. And I, 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 I'm, I'm going to use the word Joe. And Joe's doing this, and Joe's in, and I'm and I'm tired of this, and he's done it over and over again. And I, you know, and and she was so frustrated over the disobedient. Faulty and failing activities of this son who is repeatedly failing. And I said to her, Sally, I said, you do any gardening? Well, yeah, I mean, sure. I said, you ever take one of these little green, tender little plants and plant them in your garden because you want a vine? Yeah. And you walk out of the house in two days and the vine is growing on the wrong side of the fence. Anybody plant vines and you don't? You know how vines kind of go where they want to go? Anybody have vines that they go where you want to go? Would you come tell us how to do this? I command you, vine, you're going to grow where I want you to grow. It doesn't happen that way. You see, vines have a mind of their own. And I said... When this happens, do you rip that vine out of the ground and stomp on it and yell at it and scream at it? I can't stand you. This is the third time I've told you where to go. No, you gently take the vine off the wrong piece of fence and you gently entwine it on the fence place where you want it to go. How are you to handle your son? This is how God handles us. How are we handling others? You see, the Holy Spirit is our gardener. God wants to use each one of us as His gardeners under the leadership of the gardener to garden the church. In 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10, I won't read the verse, but it's one another and one another and one another. Remember, the Apostle Paul was God's great gardener. I think one day we need to teach a class on just the life of Paul. What a man. How did Paul garden? Long distance, staying away from, don't get dirty, be very cautious, protect yourself. How did God, God how did Paul garden God's garden? He got into the mud. He got into the mud. 
and dealt with the issues so that the flowers could grow. Remember, he said, I am, I am the one who plants Apollos waters, and, you know, but God gives the growth. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, the apostle says, For what thanks can I render to God for all of you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Look at his attitude. Paul is up to his neck in other people's mud. And he is saying, what a joy it is. People ask, well, we don't want to disturb you, but we need to come in. Come in, disturb us. This is what we're here for. We want to be disturbed. People afraid to share their difficulties and their problems and their failures with us. And when you do that, you do a couple of different things. You withhold the experience of joyfully receiving the grace of God from yourself and from us and from one another. I tell you the greatest joy, or at least one of them, that we could have is when one of our little children needs help and someone intervenes and helps. That brings great joy to our hearts, does it not? The joy. Uh-oh, he's coming back again. She's coming back again. Here we go again. No. This is what I say. Bring it on. Come on. Come on. And if you don't come, we'll come get you. You know why? Because God has shown us that there is a great joy in walking with you in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, so that as we see Him overcoming by His grace in your life, we are experiencing greater joy ourselves. I'm telling you, this is a joy. And don't you ever think it isn't. Because the worse the issue, the greater the declaration of the grace of our God. And that's a joy to see. So bring it on. Bring them on. Bring everybody in. And let the grace of God be shown to be overcoming of sin, as we see in Romans 5.20. Listen to what Paul says. Remember that word bear? In 15.1 of Romans, the apostle gives the church this instruction. He says, now we who are strong. Now, that strong doesn't mean physically strong. This guy isn't physically strong. And this guy has some problems physically. We who are strong in the strength of the Lord because the grace of God has and is continuing to overcome our weaknesses and we are now walking in greater manifestation and power of the grace of God than we ever have before. And our sin issues are being overcome and dealt with successfully. And we're no longer being stopped by sin, but we are now stomping on sin. So we who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. You see, our attitude about the weakness of that other person, those other people, our attitude should be this. When I see it, it's like a red flag 
and I'm going to be like a bull in a china shop. Glenn, when I see the red flag of your weakness, I'm a coming running for you. I'm coming after you. Why? Because we want to see God's grace. And we need to have that attitude in this church for every other believer and every family member. Oh, what a joy it is. What a responsibility, but what a privilege to serve the children of God. Galatians 6, verse 2, the apostles bear one another's burdens. How did Paul do this? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And then we'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How did Paul do this? What did it look like in this man? What kind of a cost was it to Paul to bear with the burdens and the weaknesses of others? What kind of a cost was it? 1 Corinthians 4, verses 10 to 16. The apostle says this. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. He's being somewhat sarcastic right now. This is where Keith gets his. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, a poorly clothed and a roughly treated and a homeless. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the greatest man in the church in shoe leather. The man who absolutely did probably the greatest work on earth for the church and for the expansion of the church. And we toil working with our own hands when we are reviled, we bless, when we are persecuted, we endure. How do we respond to others in the church? Do we do it this way? When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. When we have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Live this way. Look at Second Corinthians 4. Verses 7 to 12. What does it cost, Paul? What is the cost of embracing, of embracing, not just putting up with, but running toward and persistently and joyfully and determinedly embracing the weaknesses of others? What does that look like in this man? And it should look like this in us. But we have this treasure, what? This grace of God in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Serve the needs of the body. And when you're afflicted, you won't be crushed. We're perplexed but not despairing. Serve the needs of the children of God. We're persecuted but not forsaken. Serve the needs of the children of God. We're struck down but not destroyed. Serve the needs around you. Always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death 
for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you as a result. You see, Paul's grace-motivated, grace-attitude, grace-empowered response to the weaknesses of the brethren created a context in their lives where they could receive the Word of God to deal with what was wrong in them without fear without condemnation, without any of those things. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20. You see, how should we be bearing the weaknesses of others? We're to do it the same way as Jesus has, as Paul has. In the same way, you see, the Spirit of God bears our weaknesses. He lovingly and He joyfully and He aggressively attacks our weaknesses with His grace. And that's how we are to do with others. He doesn't withdraw Himself. He comes a-running. And so what does Luke 15.20 say when this Son has been away in riotous living and has impugned his father's integrity and has wasted his life and has rejected the counsel of God. The Holy Spirit brings him back, remember? He came to himself. He says, I will arise and go to my father. Todd, why could he do that? Because he knew he had a father who would gracefully deal with his issues. That's why he could go back. Daddies, if you have children who are afraid to come with you, you better go back and check your hearts as how you're dealing with the issues in your own life and with others. And how did the father respond to the weaknesses of this boy? Every day. I believe it was every day. The daddy is on the hillside like this. Every day. God is constantly looking to deal with our weaknesses every day. Then one day, he sees a little speck on the horizon down the hill. Sees someone coming. Gets closer and closer. The figure gets larger and larger. I've seen others, but been disappointed. And he begins to make out the clothing. He says, no, it's just rags, filth, stinking. It's a mess. But then he sees something. He sees the way his son is walking. Ah, that's my son. And the daddy runs to him, falls on him, kisses him, 
puts the robe on him, gives him the ring, and puts on the shoes. This my son was dead, but now is alive. Kill the fatted calf, for we are going to have a celebration tonight. The joy of overcoming and dealing effectively with the issues in the boy's life is the father's joy of running to this boy. Doesn't wait until he gets there. He runs after him. Can we run after one another in this church for the glory and joy of God? Can we be running after others? The son had not even repented. He had not even said sorry yet. He didn't even ask for forgiveness, but the father was right there. And the father's treatment of him in grace allowed him to, forgive, uh, to uh, ask for repentance and ask for forgiveness. father didn't wait. The father grabbed him up. See, we have to grab up the weaknesses of others. We have to allow ourselves, if you would, I don't know how biblical this is, but it sounds good. I, I, we have to allow ourselves to be spiritual sponges. And when the, the nastiness is on the floor, you take the sponge and do what? Allow the sponge to soak it up. We must not live out of our feelings that we naturally have as a result of colliding with the issues in other people. We must live out of the grace of God. For our sake, for their sake, and mostly for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. We need to be spiritual sponges for one another. We need to do this for the glory of God. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? There are several in this room that I have married. Several in this room that Keith has married. That Jeff and Matt have married. And on the day of the wedding, when we and the groom are standing together, and looking at the back of the church, waiting expectantly for one moment. The opening of the doors and the entrance of the bride. What does Ephesians say? Jesus desires in Ephesians 5.27 to present unto himself a what? A bride without what? Spot or wrinkle or any such thing. A beautiful bride. And when that door opens and that beautiful girl in her beautiful gown appears, then this groom knows all the time of walking and working and struggling together and ministering together is worth it. And the beaming face of the man tells the story. On that day, 
We are going to be the bride of Christ entering into the great sanctuary of God. And Revelation tells us, and they shall see his face. And his face is going to be a smiling face. Smiling not because you're home only, but because you are radiant and beautiful and lovely without spot or wrinkle. How does that happen? It happens as the Holy Spirit deals with me and uses me to minister to you and you to minister to me. And as we collectively live this kind of a life, God one day will be smiling. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I know we're a little bit over. I I cannot resist giving us a homework assignment, though. Peter, thank you. That was incredibly beneficial to every one of us. And thank you for blessing our marriages, our families, and our church all in one shot with wonderful insights that are incredibly helpful. I want to encourage us to do this um, because this dynamic is so common to every relationship. Every relationship has weakness in it. And if we don't deal well with it, those weaknesses erode the relationships. They just do. And so I'm going to give us three questions that I hope all of us will take from here and we'll meet with the others that are in our lives to walk through together. Start with this question. One, what weaknesses, and Peter began the message with this, what weaknesses are common for you to have to deal with in yourself? Start there. What weaknesses are common for me that I have to deal with in my own life? I don't like them. They bug me. They keep coming out. I'm frustrated. I'm praying. I'm asking God. I'm sick of dealing with this. I can only imagine the people around me are sick of dealing with it too. Start there. Create your own list. If you don't start there, you can't do the next part of the exercise. Because that is the source of God humbling you as you walk through what Peter described. God deals with those weaknesses in your own life on a regular basis out of his grace. I've got to own that before I can meet with anybody else to deal with other weaknesses. Second question. What weaknesses are you commonly encountering in others? If you're a married couple, that would be husbands and wives. What, What weaknesses are you commonly encountering in your husband or in your wife? If you have a family setting, you have children in the home, Uh, What weaknesses are you commonly encountering in your children? Children, what weaknesses are you commonly encountering in your parents, in your siblings? And this can be spread into other relationships that are in your life as well. Consider those areas. Consider them humbly. Consider that weakness is is sort of like uh, a weakness in your life. is kind of like doing things left-handed if you're right-handed. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you you go to do them. It doesn't feel right. You don't do it well. It makes you not want to do it again. You know, it looks kind of spastic looking and you just don't, can't write. You can't, you just stay away from that stuff. But for somebody else who's kind of, that's their right-handed area of life. They do it so well and they can't understand why yours looks so goofy when you do it. Well, don't be too impressed with yourself. That may just come real easy for you. And it doesn't come real easy for them. If you understand that dynamic when you're relating to people, you can get, I think God will give you a lot more grace and sympathy for them to realize it's not an easy thing for my son or my wife to do. It's easy for me to do it, 
just always has been. Not easy for them, not the same area and type of issue in their life. So what weaknesses are you commonly encountering in others? And this might be a good thing for you to do together as husbands and wives, as families, as you deal through these uh, in a context in where you're living with roommates. What list of weaknesses are being encountered in our home? I think when we're aware of that, we can be much more intentional about it. To seek grace from God. And as Peter said, to see these weaknesses as a means of God's grace. Not only the ones that we know in our own life, that when I'm weak, then I'm strong and I experience grace. But when I experience, by God's sovereign design, the weaknesses that are in my wife or in my own home that are in others. That's God's design for me as well. That's the mud if you will, for God's grace to begin to take over a greater way in my life. Uh, it just If you have as many people in your home as I have, it's good to know that there's many, many issues that you're dealing with and not just one. So for you guys, it wouldn't be different. But for those who have multiple weaknesses, you won't realize that multiple weaknesses encountered by others, if you're not armed and intentional, you become worn down by them, and then you bite that one's head, head off because of that one's weakness over there. That's what we do in our home. Anyway, with headless children because of that one's problem over there. So if you don't have a handle on that, and you can't be as intentional about it and realizing, okay, I'm encountering weaknesses. God, thank you that you have encountered mine. You are dealing with me in grace. You have sent your Holy Spirit to hang out with a thud like me. And, and yet, now I get the opportunity to do that in somebody else's life. I know if we'll put this on, what a difference this will make in our lives. Amen? Bro, thank you. This was excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. Oh mm-hmm.